In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. The opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of the Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and changed the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Thanks, Natalie. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in to Acts 6. So let's pray. Father God, we, we want you to come amongst us this morning by your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit um, that was at work in, in Stephen. It's still at work today. And Lord, as we see him speaking out and being persecuted, we ask you uh, to bring courage to our faith, bring inspiration, change our lives, help us press on, we pray, as Christians in our own Christian walks. Lord, please come amongst us by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think there are two ways to make God too small. I mean, there are plenty of ways, but there are two that apply this morning. One is to restrict his geographical domain. And by that, I mean you say to yourself, well, God only works in church. The business of God only really happens um, when I go to church. The other is to kind of claim outward conformity um, without any kind of heart obedience. In other words, turn up just enough Sundays not to be missed um, and so that nobody um, asks any questions. If you make those two, you know, if you do those two things, then I suggest, you know, you might feel you've got the Lord under control. But today I want you to see what Stephen would, would say to that. And obviously uh, uh, there are a few sermon notes out there. Um, so you can grab them if they're there. Obviously they come out to you. You can print them beforehand if you want to. And the red words here will come up on the word search. You have to bring your own pen though. That's the other thing. Okay, we're not leaving pens out for you to infect people with. That's how it is. 
So what do we miss? This is, we've picked up at Acts 6. We've missed a few things along the way. In Acts 2, Matthias was chosen as an apostle in the place of Judas. And the Holy Spirit then was poured out at Pentecost. That's a famous story. You know that. Peter stood up, preached. 3,000 people believed on that day. And then again, Acts 3, Peter heals a lame beggar outside the temple. Um, and Peter and John, they, they get hauled before the Sanhedrin. Um, and then they go back and, and, and they pray, um, and the Lord shakes um, the place uh, that they're in. Um, and the believers then go out again, and they speak boldly. Uh, they speak boldly. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Then uh, Acts, end of Acts 4, beginning of Acts 5, the believers share their possessions. Um, and Ananias and Sapphira sell some of their possessions. Then bizarrely, they, they lie about the amount they got and they keep some for themselves. Uh, and you know the rest of that story, I trust. And then again, the, the apostles, um, the second half of, uh, of Acts 5, the apostles heal many people and, and they're persecuted. You get the pattern. <clears throat> These are the things we've missed. Where there is faithful ministry, there is opposition either from outside, uh, pressure from outside to, to shut up and don't carry on, pressure from inside uh, by people who would just want to compromise and lie on the inside and, and weaken the fellowship. Where there's faithful ministry, there's opposition. But we're going to dig in and look at, at Stephen today. Uh, we first find him in Acts 6. He's one of the, the deacons. Uh, the number of disciples has increased. Um, and the Greek-speaking Christians think that their widows are being overlooked um, in the daily food distribution in, in favor of the uh, Aramaic-speaking widows, the Hebraic widows. Um, so the apostles get the whole group uh, of Christians to choose from amongst them seven men full of, uh, full of the spirit and wisdom. They all have Greek names, so it seems like they're, they're deliberately chosen. Um, so that those who are feeling they're, they're being overlooked um, aren't getting overlooked. And the apostles get on with preaching, the, the, uh, with prayer and the ministry of the word. Note these following things which apply to us as we come up to a church meeting. It's the church that does the choosing. But the people you choose, they must be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Must be spiritual people um, who have some nous about them. Because even the simple, even the apparently simple tasks in the church, they require faith um, and, and they require wisdom. And I, can't, I, I don't want to embarrass Ken, but, but Ken is one of those people who, who just uh, has a spiritual, wise approach to finances. So easy in so many churches to essentially have a treasurer who says, oh, you can't do that. And you absolutely need a treasurer who, is, who says, let's find a way of doing that. Um, and the same goes, the same goes you know, for, for all those deacons' posts. You need somebody full of faith. In other words, they see the possibilities uh, and wisdom. But interestingly, because deacons are people who are full of the Holy Spirit uh, and, and, uh, and they're full of faith and, and wisdom, then they're not limited to the simple tasks. They may be appointed to the, you know, as a fabric deacon or a finance deacon. Um, but because if you appoint people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, they're not going to limit themselves to that. And that's the case with, with Stephen. Um, he, he has another ministry, um, as we'll see. And his ministry happens to be um, signs and wonders and preaching. 
Uh, wouldn't it be great if, if all our deacons had ministries of signs and, signs and wonder and preaching? Why not? I mean, let's pray. Um, but the good news is, that as, the, as the distribution of food is delegated, um, that's the end of the first half of, of, of chapter 6, um, a large, uh, the number of disciples, sorry, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. Good delegation is really fundamental. <laughs> good delegation is fundamental to the health of the church. Good delegation is fundamental to um, gospel ministry within a church. Don't neglect it, he says to himself. And, uh, and to all of you as well. But Stephen has this other ministry. Maybe he's been preaching in, the, in this. Uh, he's been preaching, um, possibly in this, possibly in this synagogue that he's annoyed. We're not told that um, he's, he's annoyed these people in the synagogue of the freedmen. They would be people who were descended from um, slaves from around the empire. They would have been Greek speakers, like like Stephen. So maybe he's been preaching in this synagogue. Um, but we read that the, uh, um, they began to argue with Stephen, but they couldn't stand up against the wisdom uh, and the spirit that he had. So they debate Stephen. They try to take it on as a kind of intellectual level. They ask all their questions, but they just can't win. It's a fulfillment of the promise that, that Jesus made. Uh, he said to the disciples, they'll hand, they'll hand you over to synagogues. They'll put you in prison. Um, and so you'll bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourself. Now, there's an interesting statement, isn't it? Maybe you should do that this morning. You know, we prayed, prayed for opportunities, eyes to see them, courage to take them, wisdom to know what to say. I did think about asking you to put your hand up. How many of you actually prayed that between last week and this? Because I didn't. I forgot. Maybe I prayed it once. Um, but I encourage you, pray that, pray that this week. Um, Make up your mind not to worry, Jesus says, how you'll defend yourselves. I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's an astonishing promise, isn't it? And this is Stephen. This is Stephen showing that this promise, this is Luke. He's doing this kind of twofold uh, reassurance for you. He's telling you what Jesus has done. Um, and, and now he's showing you that it works in practice. This is what's happened to Stephen. So these guys, they, they, can't, they can't argue him down. So they persuade some guys to stand and accuse him of blasphemy. Um, they stir up the people and the elders. They get him arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. And then they bring false witnesses. And two charges are, are leveled against him. One is that he speaks against the holy place. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. And the second charge is that he's saying that the customs of, of Moses uh, will, will have to change. Customs of Moses will, will be destroyed. It is the charge against him. So I was thinking about saying to you this morning that if you want to speak about Jesus, it will, it will get you into trouble. Um, if you speak about Jesus, um, you will be persecuted. But that's not entirely true. I think if you, if you speak about Jesus, you will divide opinion. If you speak about Jesus, you will, you will divide opinion. For we are, to, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ, Paul says. And to, to one we are an aroma that brings death, and to the other an aroma that brings life, between the saved and the perishing. If you go out and you, you, want to, you speak about 
Jesus. To one you will be, you will invite salvation, and from the others you will invite opposition. But you can't, you can't choose. You can only choose not to do it, and if you don't do it, then you don't invite opposition, but then you don't invite anybody into, into salvation either. If you speak about Jesus, you divide a, a opinion, and you have to kind of set your mind ahead of time. You have to set your mind that you're not going to worry about what to say. That's what Jesus said. But you have to kind of set your mind that if you talk about it, it will, it will divide opinion. There's just no way around it. Jesus did it. Stephen does it. Paul does it. There's, there's no way around that. What did Jesus actually say? Um, so this is the charge against Stephen. Um, he's, the, the Stephen is saying that Jesus said that the temple should be destroyed uh, and, and the customs that, that, um, that, that Moses handed down for us would have to go to. Well, Jesus did say that he himself would replace the temple, that he was the fulfillment of the law. But he was not saying that there had never been divine gifts. They were, given, they were given to the Jews. That was a great place of, of privilege. And they were the, they were the, uh, they were the revelation through, through the Jewish people um, to, to the whole world. But they are now um, fulfilled in Christ. The reality is Christ. He is the temple. And he is the fulfillment of the law. So Stephen is teaching what Jesus taught. And at the end of the chapter, we get this thing that they saw that his face was like an angel. A number of disciples in Jerusalem, uh, sorry, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. They saw that his face was like an angel. It's a sign that he'd, that he'd been in the, uh, in, in the presence of God. I wonder whether you, have you ever had an, an experience like that? where you kind of, um, you've been speaking to, to people and it, it, the words just seem to come um, and a kind of smile maybe grows on your face, not because a proud smile, but you just have that sense that the Lord being with you and, and, and speaking with you in, in witness. I had that once or twice in my life. I remember one guy looking at me and saying, oh gosh, you're going to persuade me at this rate. Um, but I just had that sense that the Lord had come upon me and the words went out as if they were coming from him. Um, and you need that if you're going to weed, uh, witness to people. You need to pray for that. Um, I don't think my face looked like the face of an angel, but you never know. So Stephen's response, and I, I, we kind of, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of text here which we can't, we can't engage with. Um, but Stephen starts off in, in a very conciliatory way. So Acts, Acts 7, uh, the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? And to this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me, the God of glory of Peter, our father Abraham, while he lived, while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, leave your country and your people, God said, go to the land I will show you. Very conciliatory, our father Abraham, brothers, fathers, listen to me. God appeared to Abraham. The glory, what's he saying? The God of glory um, appeared to our father in Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. Notice that? So the glory of God doesn't just sit in the temple. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. And he goes on, he tells a bit more about Abraham after his death. Um, God sent him to this land you are now living. And then later on he tells the story of Joseph. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. So God was with Joseph to bless him while he was in Egypt. 
Stephen says. Do you, do, you, do you get where he's going? And then he goes on and he talks about uh, Moses, and he's very respectful um, in, in all the talk he says about Moses. Um, and he says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. He went over to get a closer look, and he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and didn't dare look. And then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground, is holy ground. God appeared to to Moses, where? Uh, in, in the desert, near Mount Sinai. Why did Moses have to take his sandals off? Because it was holy ground. The temple is not the only holy ground um, in the Jewish story. There was holy ground when God uh, met with Moses in the desert. And he goes on. You can read this for yourself later on. And he talks about the, uh, the tabernacle. I should have written a reference down. Here we are. Our ancestors had the tabernacle with them in the wilderness. It was made as God directed. Um, And it traveled around. The tabernacle went with them. The presence of God. The amazing thing about the tabernacle is is that God said he would dwell with his people. And he went wherever his people went. At least he went with them uh, as long as they were following his lead. But there's a point here. is that God is not restricted to the temple. Stephen wants to tell him, this is what Jesus is is telling you. God is not restricted to the temple. Holy ground is wherever God chooses holy ground to be. So I don't know whether you were around for the Espresso Church a few weeks ago. We did a bit of the history of Staines Kong, um, why why we are a congregational church. Um, and we had a, a little look at bits of our own history. So I think as far back as 1649, there were, uh, there were Christians meeting together in, in houses in Staines. They were dissenters, people who, uh, who had left the Church of England because it, it was being uh, over-prescriptive. And then the first place they met was, the, was an upper room in um, Tilly's Lane. Um, so I think it's now kind of Cafe Gusto. It's kind of opposite um, the Harvester. And there's that funny little steppy out bit of an upstairs window. Um, the, the Christians met, met there um, in, in a little room. That was, that was the beginning of Staines Kong. Um, then they had a big old building in, in Thames Street. I could, I could show you some, some photos, um, which I think I'm really glad that, they, uh, uh, that the, the council in the end decided they didn't want us to have. Um, and that was when um, we came here. How is it that we can meet in different places and still call it church, still call it Staines Kong? Because Jesus is wherever his people meet. Jesus is wherever his people meet. So the upstairs room in, in, in Tilly's Lane wasn't holy ground. Only it kind of was holy ground when Staines Kong met there. It was holy because God was there with them. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them, Jesus said. That big old building um, in Thames Street wasn't holy ground, but it kind of was when Christians met there. This is not holy ground where you're standing this morning, but it is, in a sense, because 
It is because we're here. It is because we're meeting together as brothers and sisters in Christ in, in the presence, in the very presence of Christ. So you don't have to come here on Sunday mornings because this is holy ground and this is the only place God works and exists, but you do have to come here because when you meet here with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it is holy ground. And Stephen caps off his argument by saying, well, Solomon made, a, Solomon made the temple. But as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Has not my hand made all these things? And even Solomon himself, he said this, will God really dwell on earth? This is in his prayer of dedication of the temple. Will God really dwell on earth, the heavens? Even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I build. That was the mistake they were making. They were thinking that the temple contained God. God is not contained by buildings because God is the maker of heaven and earth. Cannot contain God. Cannot own him cannot restrict him. What's, what's the importance of that for us? The Lord is not limited to a, to a place. The Lord is not limited to working in, in Staines Kong. And I think the important thing really is, is to say that God works wherever his people are. Wherever you are in this week, and maybe you want to think about where you're going to be this week. It could for a moment, it could for a moment be holy ground. It could for a moment be the revelation of God, of the glory of God to somebody. Because you prayed and God gave you a moment to, to speak to somebody. It could be for a moment holy ground. It could be the moment where the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ arrives to somebody because you prayed for courage and God gave you courage and, and you said something but you have to set your mind you have to set your mind not to worry about it and you have to set your mind that you will divide opinion it could go one of two ways but you have to accept that very briefly um, Stephen says some stuff about the law he's very respectful about Moses but he says the majority of Israel rejected Moses and they rejected the prophets uh, who, who commended the law to them and he says you have the law but he says and this is the end and this is where he kind of he's been very conciliatory for a whole chapter uh, of speech uh, and, and then he says um, at the end um, was there ever a prophet, prophet your ancestors didn't persecute they killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and, and now you have betrayed him. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. He says, you are just like your ancestors, you resist the Holy Spirit. And you destroy the leaders God sends, those who predicted the Messiah. So the customs that they're going through, the motions that they're going through, the patterns that they're going through, they are going through without the spiritual realities underneath. And it's really, really easy to, to go through patterns of behavior without spiritual realities going on underneath. So having the Bible and not reading it is really, really easy. 
but having it, it, it is not enough. It's not a relationship with God, is it? Uh, to have the Bible and not read it. So Stephen's saying, you, you think you've got the temple and you think you've got God contained. Well, you haven't. Because he's out there. And he's working wherever he chooses. You think you've got God because you've got the law. But it's not enough. The spiritual realities are about circumcision. And circumcision is about circumcision of the heart. It's a cleansing of the heart that the Holy Spirit does. It's a new heart um, that the Holy Spirit gives you. Have you, have you got that? Is, is that a done deal in your life? Have you been circumcised in the heart? We call that conversion, but it's that inner cleansing. It's that renewing of the heart that God does, does in you. That, that's, that's the start, isn't it, of our spiritual realities. And he says to them, they're uncircumcised. They're not, they're not really right with God. And then he says, you resist the Holy Spirit. So it's not enough to have the Bible. The question is, are you hearing God speaking? Are you hearing God speaking to you? If you're regularly in the Bible, you will know that experience. You will know God speaking to you. Is he moving? Is he changing you um, through your reading of the Bible? He will be if you're in it, um, open and praying and converted. And he says, you received the law that was given through angels, but you've not obeyed it. So easy. So two ways. Two ways we've talked about uh, restricting God. One, one is to say he just works in, in, in church, uh, and the other is to say, uh, I, I just go through the motions. They're, they're obvious, aren't they? But they're really easy even for Christians to slip into. To think I'm going out there tomorrow, and actually I'm forgetting about God for the rest of the week because that's not God's domain. Well, it is God's domain. And he can work through you to his glory. And the other is to just go through, go through the motions without spiritual realities going underneath. If your life slipped into that, then do something about it. Encourage you to come and, come and get some help. Hero or villain then? Um, at, the end, at the end, Stephen's dragged off to be stoned to death. Um, and Saul stands there looking after the codes. And he approved of the killing one, which is you. Are you kind of hero or villain? Which do you aspire to be? Actually, the interesting thing, you know the end of the story. <laughs> this was a starting point, but at the end, both of them are saved. At the end, both of them are used by God because both of them give their lives to and for Jesus. Hallelujah for the unmerited grace of God. What an amazing thing that God should rescue people like Paul and use them. What an amazing thing that God should rescue people like me and use them in some small ways for Christ. What an amazing thing that God has rescued you and wants to use you to his glory. Father God, we don't want to keep you in a box, even if that box is called Stains Kong. Lord, we don't want to go through the motions. We want to know you for real. And we want to be used by you. We want today to set our minds to, to speaking for you, even if it divides opinion. We pray for opportunities, Lord Jesus, to witness to you. We pray for courage to take them, eyes to see them, and wisdom to know what to say. Amen.